Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where each week and every week we acquaint ourselves with the key ingredient in James Bond's favourite cocktail. Yes, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> It'll be shaken, not stirred. Fantastic. Stay tuned to find out what it is. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Yes. No, I'm Michael. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So we're actually talking about uh, Lille Blanc, originally known as Kina Lille, until they changed the recipe. That's correct. Absolutely. I really... Please don't, don't do that for the whole episode. <laughs> you think I won't get away with it? <laughs> yes, we are indeed talking about Lille, which is uh, classed as an aromatized wine under the EU law mm. and is a French wine-based aperitif that's made using a blend of 85% Bordeaux region wines and 15% macerated liqueurs. Yeah, it's light. I suppose it's wine-colored, really. It, um, macerated liqueurs. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a fortified wine when you well, think about it. Well, yes, it uh, it certainly is. So let's, um, I suppose, talk about how they make it, and then we can talk about when they began and mm. the story of all that, because we like such things here. We do. We also like to taste it, because this is, again, one of the drinks we have never had before. That's right. I'm mm. excited. Me too. It's, I, I love it when we, when we try the weird stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the ingredients that go into Lille, the ones we mentioned earlier, the blend of Bordeaux region wines, which vary depending on whether or not you've selected the Lille Blanc, the Lille Rouge, the Lille Rosé, or there is another one I can't remember off the top of my head. Not the Kina Lille, which is, it has been discontinued. Oh, actually, no. So th those are the three. There are only, th there are only the three. Hmm. Yes. So depending on which one, the ingredients vary, but... The method by which they are made is the same. The ingredients are stirred together in oak casks until they are blended. And then, during the aging process, they treat it like it's a Bordeaux wine. Hmm. In uh, aging in oak barrels. And filtering and all the same things that they would do with, with a wine from the region. Uh, so, I, I get the feeling that this is going to be quite a citrusy drink because they they use uh, sweet oranges from Turkey, Spain, or Morocco, uh, and bitter oranges from Haiti. Yes, the macerated liqueurs do tend to be citrus-based. Hmm. Well, it literally says on the website that they use oranges. Yes. Citrus-based. Yeah. Yeah. And of <laughs> course, they also recommend serving it with a slice of orange... Or the peel of a lemon or a lime. Hmm. So that's what we're doing. That is what we're doing. Hmm. We are serving it with the peel of a lemon or a lime. In this instance, a lemon. Hmm. Over rice. As well. Yes, as recommended. Hmm. At 6 to 8 degrees Celsius, which is the recommended serving temperature. It's... Oh, it's warming up. So 
we should probably serve it. Serve it, yes. Before it gets too warm. Yes, so while you crack and pour, Ooh, I will I tell know. the tale. Yes, tell us. Where did this all begin? Yes, the, the story of Lillet begins in 1865 when the brothers, Paul and Raymond Lillet, formed the Lillet Frieres Company to produce and sell fine wines and spirits in Bordeaux, France. And uh, then they got the idea of making aperitifs from Father Kerman, who was a monk and a doctor who returned to France from Brazil and began making aperitifs based on plants. Mm. And uh, they kind of took the idea from him and in 1887 produced the first Kina Lillet. Now, originally, it was only available in Blanc. It's not anymore, but at the time, Kina Lillet was Blanc, hmm. meaning white. And there's there's a little tidbit in the name. So Kina in the name is the French word for quinine. Yes, which was the plant upon which the aperitifs the monk had used the aperitifs the monk had made were made. Mm. That was a bit glib. Was <laughs> still that was the plant base. Yeah. For the aperitifs. And they liked the idea. Well they um they needed something to because quinine has long been known as a remedy for malaria or an anti malaria herb. And as everybody knows, it's bitter AF. Yeah. So. And coming into a rather loaded market of aperitifs at the time, because in the 1800s there were a lot of them, mm. they also needed something to make theirs stand out. Now, that was something different. It wasn't being done in Europe at the time. And unlike other aperitifs around that area which were red, theirs was white. Mm. Which literally Blanc. Yes, literally Blanc, which stood out quite a bit. It it caught people's attention and it got popular. And uh, so during the 1920s, Lillet exports to Europe and Africa increased. And thanks to being served on transatlantic cruise liners, it became known amongst the US high society and then began being used in cocktails by American bartenders. Hmm. And one of Lillet's first major advertising campaigns was designed specifically for the American market, uh, uh, created by a, a French artist, Robert Wolfe. Wolfe? Wolf? I'd, I'd guess Wolfe. Yeah. Uh, better known as Robbie's. Uh, he... Yeah, it remains famous in the US and France. Like this iconic um, artistry is apparently pretty famous still in France and US. Oh. Hmm. So if you're from the US and you know who we're talking about, then that's probably accurate. Hmm. Well, I suppose if you like Lillet, you'd know. You'd know, yes. Yes, if you like Lillet, you'll know. I suppose that's, well, that's, I, that's a byline, Lillet people. You can have that. <laughs> I suppose if you don't know, if you don't know what Lillet is, you wouldn't know the advertising campaign either. Mm, very true. Because this is this is back in the thirties, twenties, thirties. Yeah, 
And of course, that didn't, it wasn't enough. It didn't get them as heavily into the American market as they wanted. But in 1962, Pierre Lillet, the grandson of Raymond Lillet, created Lillet Rouge to capitalize on the growing popularity of red wines in the US market. Mm. And that certainly seemed to work. Lillet caught some attention started selling more, and began appearing in popular literature, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, well, that that was the 50s when uh, Ian Fleming discovered this drink. Yeah, though surprisingly, its appearance in the book Casino Royale was not enough to really boost its sales. But then Ian Fleming took a while to really gain popularity. Mm-hmm. Because the the book Casino Royale came out in 1953. Yeah, and so the um, the first Bond film, Doctor No, came out in 1962. But it wouldn't have been mentioned in that one. And it was not the only. It was mentioned in the films Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Hmm. Well, the, the which are two of the more recent Bond movies. Wasn't there a uh, Casino Royale made in the 60s or 70s? The film Casino Royale was made in 2006, and of course Quantum of Solace came after that. Yep. And these these are the technically the first two Bond stories in the James Bond timeline. Yeah, they were very much made out of the order of the novels. Mm. Well, I wonder why they chose to do that. Maybe because Dr. No was a better story for a film. Mm, perhaps, and maybe one that they thought would sell well at the time. It was 1962. Mm. Very true, very true. And, you know, Dr. No was the concept of, you know, an evil island and an evil unknown yeah. foreigner. True. Which was also 1960s America, big thing. Mm. Well, 1960s UK <laughs> as well, I suppose. yeah. Well, yeah, James Bond is British. Yeah. Um, so, the book version of the Vespa was actually created by Ian Fleming's friend, Ivar Bryce. In Bryce's copy of Casino Royale, Fleming in- inscribed, for Ivar, who mixed the first Vespa and said the good word. In his book, You Only Live Once, Bryce details that Fleming was first served a Vespa, a drink of frozen a drink of a frozen rum concoction with fruit and herbs, at evening drinks by the butler of an elderly couple in Jamaica. The butler commented Vespers are served. Vespers or Evensong is the sixth of the seventh canonical hours of the divine office and are observed at sunset, the violet hour. Bond's later chosen hour of fame for his martini Vespa. Yes, though in Casino Royale, he names it for his love interest. Hmm. Vespa someone? Vespa Lind. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough uh, gas bagging. Let's try this drink. Yes, let's. Cheers. Cheers. Whoa. It- it's hard to tell if the citrusy smell is from the lemon or not. You know what it kind of smells like? 
smells a little bit like uh, limoncello and smells like uh, lemon lemon candy, lemon lollies. But is that the lemon? I don't reckon it is. Let's taste. Old lemon at a distance. <laughs> Dripping all over the table. Yeah, no, it's not the lemon. That smell is not the lemon. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's uh, let's taste this. Oh, that is well mild. Yeah, compared to the smell, it's pleasant though. It's very, mm. it's light and it's fruity. It's um, very reminiscent of drinking uh, a white wine. Yeah, sort of fresh and crisp, but without the the bitterness and tannins that you'd find in a Sav Blanc. Yeah, that citrus seems to kind of cut through it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's well balanced. So there's honey notes, there's it's not as citrus punchy as I was expecting. Yeah. And it's um And there's still a little bitterness if you take a big mouthful of it. Yeah. But and a, li- yeah. and a little bit of tannins there, too. A, a little bit, yes. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, you can tell the wine is there. Yeah, te- you can tell it's wine-based. Oh, yeah. Mm. But it's it's kind of like a wine cocktail. It's probably the easiest way to describe the uh, experience of drinking it. Yeah. and I, I guess now that we're talking about what it tastes like, it's time to go back to the history of it so that we can mention why it tastes like it does. It's only 17%. Because in 1985, the Lillet company was purchased by Bruno Bori of the famed Bori family, owners of several Bordeaux chateaux, who made uh, large investments in the company's production facilities to allow for implementation of more modern production technologies. And so to that end, they worked closely with the Bordeaux University's Institute of Oenology, which is the study of wine and wine production, basically. Mm. And the Lillet recipe was reformulated to apply modern winemaking techniques and increase the quality and sustainability of the product. Mm. And the result was a new recipe which was lighter, fruitier, and less syrupy than the original, which they hoped would appeal to a more modern market. Mm. Yeah, this is not very syrupy at all. No. And so the taste of this, knowing that this is lighter and fruitier than the original, makes me very curious what the original was like. It would have been fantastic, I reckon. Like bitter, uh, more quinine. I suppose that that tonic flavor that everybody can recognize would be there. Tonic, the flavor of tonic water would be in there. Yeah. Well, so I suppose what would be a good thing for you to point out, because I know you've got it there in front of you, is the extra drinks that were invented specifically so that you could produce the Vespa cocktail tasting the way it originally did. Hmm. Well, what one version uses? Well, the, the most 
recent version of this still uses Lille Blanc, uh, but it's slightly different as the original recipe, you can no longer make it based on the original recipe. Because it wouldn't taste the same. No. Uh, So originally it was three measures of Gordon's, one measure of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lille, Shaken very well until it's ice cold, then add a large slice of large thin slice of lemon pe- lemon peel. Now, yeah, well, naturally, Kina Lille no longer exists. It's just Lille Blanc, and it tastes completely different. Mm. And Gordon's is using a different recipe for their gin as well. It's not as boozy as it used to be. So the contemporary version of it is uh, three ounces of Tanqueray or Bombay Sapphire, which is gin. Yeah. Uh, one ounce of vodka, so 100 proof vodka. Bloody hell. Mm, that's a strong vodka right there. A half an ounce of Lille Blanc, an eighth teaspoon or less of quinine powder. Strain into a shake if you must. Strain into a chilled cocktail glass with a large twist of thin cut lemon peel over the top. And if you can't get quinine powder, then you can use bitters. In desperation. In desperation. Mm. So that that recipe is uh, courtesy of Esquire. They came up with a a new version that was close but uh, similar in flavor to the original. Mm. So as as close as the modern versions of the beverages would allow. Yeah. The... um, a common substitute for Kina Lille is a drink called Kochi Americano, which apparently is quite uh, quite bitter and very close to the original recipe of Kina Lille. D- completely different brand, mm. um, but very similar in flavor, apparently. Oh, interesting. Mm. And, you know, substitute Gordon's for your favorite London Dry. Yeah, that yeah. makes good sense. And it still doesn't really tell us what this would have traditionally tasted like, but it gets us closer to guessing. Mm. And knowing is half the battle. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what, what time are we at? We are at 21 and a half minutes. Oh, nice, because we, we figured this wouldn't be a long one. No. We should, um, I wonder if we should shoot an email to Lille and say, hey, we did an episode on your drink. Well, we didn't take a picture, did we? Not yet. We'll have to pour another one. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah, no, that that would be terrible. (laughs) Yeah, this this is quite nice. And... Given it's an aromatized wine, it unfortunately doesn't last very long. You only get a month. Uh, you only get a couple of weeks after you've opened it to drink it before it loses its flavor. Mm. Well, still slightly better than a regular bottle of wine where at best you want to drink it in a day or two. Yeah, over the next three, four days, depending on the divot, apparently. Mm. Yeah. And... Not quite as long as a fortified, which is a little bit strong, a little bit boozier, and therefore has a slightly longer shelf life. Yes, fortifieds can can sit for a while after they've been opened. I have known 
many an old woman who likes a glass of sherry before bed to have a bottle of it that they replace every couple of weeks yeah. to month. Yeah. Well, my uh, my parents used to buy one of those giant bottles of sherry, those like three, two liter bottles of sherry, and that would last them about a month. Yeah, and it's still good at the end of that. Yeah. Because it's a fortified. Mm. I think you get about two months out of a out of a fortified. Yeah, something at, like at that. A, at a stretch. Mm. Unless it's Madeira. Ah, uh, yes, that funky cold Madeira. Yeah, that's a wild card, that one. <laughs> Where it's specifically designed to have a infinite shelf life. Yeah, which is pretty fantastic. Mm. That it is. So, Mikkel, how many bottle caps would you rate this beverage? Oh, that's a good question. Because I can't really think of anything I can compare it to. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, on an even playing field to... Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? To work out where to rank it. Yes. Yeah, so I, pro- I suppose the closest thing would be vermouth. Yeah, I, I guess. And not having tried it in a cocktail yet... This time. Which we, we will do by the end of this episode, so we can say how well it does <laughs> in replacing vermouth. Yep. As is suggested mm. in cocktail recipes, certain cocktail recipes. Mm. Then I'll be able to say for certain. So yes. you're not going to give me the answer now? Not until afterwards, no. All right. Let's, uh, let's make ourselves a cocktail then. Mikkel has just poured us both a... Not a Vespa Martini. It's not a Vespa Martini. It's just a straight Martini with uh, Bombay Sapphire and Lille Blanc. Yes, with the Lille Blanc instead of the Vermouth. Mm. Because they are interchangeable. Supposedly. It's it's good. Yeah? I I feel as though I balanced it correctly. I eyeballed it instead of of using a measure, but I feel as though I balanced it well. It tastes like... The martinis that I make myself with a measure. Ooh. It's very subtle, very soft. Versus a martini I've had in the past, which is... Oh, wait, there's the punch. <laughs> there's there's that warmth. Um, yeah, no, no it, it's it's nice. It tastes like the Lillet with the gin thrown in. Yeah, so it's... Which I guess is kind of like kind of the point another martini which tastes like vermouth with the gin thrown in yeah which which is a reverse martini i think the technical name is with with two parts gin one part sorry two parts vermouth one part gin yes because ideally you just want to walk in the same room as a bottle of vermouth while making a martini yeah and that's good enough for most people they, they just want gin really <laughs> you yeah. might as well just order gin yeah, wave wave the bottle of vermouth in the direction of the glass. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Walk past it as per our Christmas special. Yeah. Ah. Uh, but yeah, it, it works it well because I, I think this is a fifty-fifty. Yeah. Yeah, it tastes like a fifty-fifty. Mm. Yeah. And I think for the flavour of the Lillet, that balances well. Mm. Because the strong flavours of the Bombay Sapphire, I feel, would overpower the subtleties of the Lillet. 
if well, it were a two to one ratio. But isn't that kind of the point of a martini? Like the gin is the strong flavor and you throw in the uh, vermouth for complexity. Well, yes, but as with any cocktail, <laughs> if you're not trying to make it by the International Bartenders Association standards, which we're already not because we're using the lay, yeah. then you might as well adjust to taste. Fair. That's a fair point. So I, I threatened to, like I threatened you with a bottle cap rating earlier and you wouldn't give me one. So now I'm going to ask the same question, Mickle. Yes, now that I have had it in martini form as well. <laughs> How many bottle caps would you rate this? I'd give it an eight. An eight? I think an eight, but between a seven and a half and an eight, probably. Okay. Hovering betwixt the two. Mm. I'd give this an eight and a half because it's very, very nice. It's very easy to drink. And if you, if you, if you kind of like wine, it's, it's nice. If you kind of, if you want to try something different, if you're not a huge fan of vermouth and you want to try something a little softer, a little more subtle, this is a very good substitute. Yeah, and I, I feel like, like I understand having drunk it both by itself mm. and in this concoction in a cocktail form that I understand why it is that bartenders are so fond of it. And I expect mm. that were I to take a bottle home, my rating of it would increase based purely on its versatility. Mm. Because it definitely strikes me as something that I could make a lot of different cocktails with. It sounds like something you could add to your cocktail bar as a permanent fixture. Possibly. If only I had more space. Yeah. On the, the for me it loses a point and a half because it's quite expensive. This is $40 for a for a bottle. And when vermouth is cheaper and you get more, it's not Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's a 750ml bottle, so the size is roughly vermouth comes in 1 liter bottles. Mm. Yeah, it's it's close, but yeah, yeah, not, not quite there. Mm. Vermouth is well. Vermouth is better value for money. You get more for your dollar. Oh yes, and yeah, there's ten standard drinks in the bottle, seventeen percent, mm. which is about the same as vermouth. And I mean, it's it's just a different flavor. I would yeah. I would say it's nicer than vermouth for sure. But for bang for your buck, it's hard to go past the vermouth. Yeah, and. I don't think I would add this to my regular bar, just purely based on the price. Yeah. And the fact that it only lasts a couple of weeks. Yes, and I'm inclined to agree with that. Because if you're going to have something in a in your bar as part of your repertoire to be able to mix drinks out of, you want it to have a longer shelf life than that mm. so that you can actually make use of it. Yeah. If... If... So we're not allowed parties at the moment, but if I was going to have a party and, uh, and you know, cocktails were the theme, I would totally add this to the list of drinks to... List, list of mixes. List oh, of, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, probably. Yeah, this, definitely some sort of gin. Hmm. 
I feel as though it would mix well, and this may be a strange thing to suggest, but I feel mm. as though it would mix well with a golden tequila. Yeah. I can see that. It's an odd combination. Um, Mexi- Mexican martini? What would you call that kind of mixture? Oh, I, I'd put other ingredients in there as well, but I feel like those two would yeah. be a good base for something different and interesting. Okay. I was actually thinking it would be a good uh, companion to Hendrix in a martini. Because mm. Hendrix is a bit of a wild card in terms of flavor with the uh, cucumber notes. And I think that because it's quite a subtle drink, I think it would go quite well with this. Well, and yeah, with the, the subtle citrus and mm. and that um, the white wineness of it, that it is so much like drinking a white wine, but not. It's got the it's got a lot of things that make it reminiscent of a Sauvignon Blanc, mm. or even a uh, kind of like a Riesling with its sweetness and crispness and a refreshing mouthfeel. Yeah. But it has the subtleties of those wine varieties. And yeah. yeah, and that's why it would work well with something else that is subtle. Mm. Yeah. Or potentially why I think it would work well with something that has strong flavors as sort of a, uh, a counterbalance, if you will. Mm. Very interesting. So I haven't got anything else. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it. That is also all I have. So that's it for this episode. Mm. If you liked what you heard, we'd love you to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. We are on your favorite podcast app, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. We are a good drop all about alcohol. Absolutely. And you can also <laughs> find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and we are a Good Drop Podcast. If you want to check out our backlog of previous episodes, jump on our website, agooddrop.com.au. And if you've got any comments, questions, feedback, uh, if you've had Lille before, if you've had Lille Blanc or any of the other varieties, uh, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think about it. Our email address is agooddrop at gmail.com. And do be sure to tune in for our next episode when we keep it weird and wonderful (laughs) on a beverage that caught my attention because the bottle was wearing a parka. (laughs) It's it's a cold drink, is it? It's not, funnily enough, but I I bought it for that because I wanted to be able to keep other drinks cold in in that parka. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it should be served chilled. And maybe it just looks super cute with a little jacket on the bottle. What is it? It's bison grass vodka. Wow. Bison grass vodka. That's right. That's weird. It's fantastic (laughs) is what it is. I have had it before. Right. And I don't want to go into it because we're going to do a whole episode on it. That's it. Stay tuned for next time. So until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.